Why don't you welcome with me a Matt Barnhill? Thank you, Matt. Howdy, y'all. I never say howdy. I don't know. I don't know many Texans that do say howdy. I guess there are some, but I never say howdy. But speaking of Texas, somewhere in deep east Texas today, there's a mama who went into her son's room to wake him up for church. And she said, Sonny, it's time to get up. It's time to go to church. And he rolled over and he says, Mama, I ain't going. I don't want to go. I ain't going. She said, come on, Sonny, every Sunday we go through this. It's time to get up and go to church. He said, Mama, I ain't going. I don't want to go to church. First of all, I hate those people up there at that church. And second, they hate me. I don't want to go. Matter of fact, give me two good reasons I should have to go to that church. She said, well, Sonny, first of all, you're 45 years old. And second, <laughs> you're the pastor. You got to go. <laughs> he hated those people. and Apparently, they hated him. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 2, and then we're going to read a couple of verses, and we're going to bounce down to chapter 4, where John picks up the same thing, and he almost says the same thing over just a little differently. And it starts like this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Then he goes on to say in chapter 4, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Can you remember the first time you ever hated, hated someone? Or perhaps can you remember the first time that you were the object of someone's hate? Well, I remember, I think this is the first time I've ever, I ever hated. There may be another time, but I remember this as if it were the first time. I was five years old and our family went on a uh, family vacation. We went to Colorado, and when we got back from Colorado, I remember pulling up in the driveway, the door flew open, and I ran to the backyard to see our dog, Princess, which was a little wire-haired terrier, and I went to find Princess, and I opened the gate, and Princess is nowhere to be found. She had run off, which she had done before, so that wasn't that totally uncommon. And I said, Princess is gone. Uh, where's Princess? Well, my sister had a friend who was taking care of Princess, and she called her, and she said, we're home. And a few minutes later, the friend came over, and she was sobbing. She was crying uncontrollably. And the next few minutes, we learned that while we were gone, somebody poisoned Princess. Now, we assumed it was the guy who lived behind us because he always complained about how much she barked. We don't know for a fact, but we know our neighbors, and he was the one most likely to poison a dog. Well, I remember, what I remember was that night I sat in my window, which looked out across my backyard and saw into this neighbor's backyard. And I remember sitting there in the window with my elbows up on the window, looking across, crying, saying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, to the backyard neighbor. And then I began to say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. 
God, please bring her back. Please bring her back. The first person I ever hated, best I can remember, was the person who we think poisoned our dog. And I also remember hating God for letting it happen and not bringing her back. You say, well, that makes no sense. Well, it made a lot of sense to me. So that's the first time I ever hated. Well, I remember one time I was the object of someone's hate. Have you ever experienced that? I was, uh, this was 20 years later, I was 25 years old, and I was going to meet a guy in Houston at a barbecue restaurant to talk about me taking over teaching the high school Sunday school class, uh, which is the first sign that it could be a bad day. And uh, he apparently was worn out, burnt out, and tired out, and he had found, uh, he had found someone who well, he was able to talk into taking over teaching this class. So I'm driving to meet him, and this was pre-navigation smartphone Garmin days, so I have handwritten directions to this restaurant that I'd never been to in my hand, so I'm driving, reading these, reading these directions, and singing along to the radio, and in the process of reading these directions and looking at street signs, I failed to see a particular traffic apparatus that had three different colored lights on it, <laughs> and the particular color of this light was a red hue, and man, I drove right through that red light, and I hit an elderly couple in a pickup truck from Alvin, Texas, hit them right in the front fender, hit them hard, and spun their truck around, and it went up on the embankment of the, of the underpass, and my car, uh, which was a little Datsun 310, I mean, it was, you don't want to have a wreck in that thing, I ran into a metal telephone pole, and I'll never forget, I hit that thing head on, and it started falling, and it, w- it was coming down to the windshield, and it stopped and was just kind of bouncing right there. It was like a TV show, you know. And I just remember watching it going, <laughs> I thought, it's coming in. And anyway, just bouncing right there. Well, it blew the window out of my driver's side door. And I was sitting there, and the paramedics were talking to me and coming over. And a few minutes later, I look over there, and it's from here to the wall. So it wasn't very far away. And I see that the woman in this car... Uh, she had blood all over her face. And I later learned that there was a coffee mug in the cab of the pickup that bounced around in the pickup and hit her right across the eyebrow and opened up a gash there. It looked horrible. She had blood all over her face. Well, her husband, this long, tall, kind of rancher kind of guy, walked over to my driver. I'm still sitting in the car. He leans down and he says, Why'd you run that red light? And with tears in my eyes, I looked at him and I said, I am so sorry. And with contempt in his eyes, he said to me, you sure are. And he walked off. I mean, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was the object of his hate. Well, sometime between those two incidents, I was in college out in West Texas. And on a Sunday morning one day, I was going to church and I pulled up behind this school bus. And on Sunday morning in in Abilene, Texas, uh, there are school buses from every church in town, crisscrossing all over town, picking up kids and taking them to church. Well, I pull up behind this school bus, and on the back of the school bus, it said, Follow the joy bus to Sweet Home Baptist Church. <laughs> and I thought, okay. And anyway, on the back row of the joy bus were two boys that I'm thinking are 12 or 13 years old, and they're leaning over another kid who's probably 8 or 9 years old, and they're slapping him. They're popping him on the head and stuff. He's got his arms up defending himself. And I'm thinking to myself, that is not the joy bus. (laughs) 
If that's the joy bus, I bet he is dreading getting to Sweet Home because what's happening on the joy bus isn't so much fun. Sweet Home could be really bad. That's not the joy bus. That's the hate bus or the family violence bus or some other kind of bus. I told a colleague about that one time. He says, he says oh, yeah, everybody's got a hate bus. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, we've all got a hate bus. I go, what do you mean, a hate bus? He said, oh, it's a bus we have. It's a bus in our life that we drive. Whenever someone offends us or hurts us or poisons our dogs or runs red lights uh, and puts scars on the forehead of our loved one, we throw them on our hate bus. I go, yeah, we do. I got a hate bus. Well, in the next few minutes, I want to tell you a little bit about that hate bus. I want to tell you about the driver, I want to tell you about the passengers, and I want to tell you about a bus stop up ahead called Forgiveness that uh, we can pull our buses over and do some business with God over. First of all, though, let me tell you about the driver of the hate bus. First thing I would tell you about him is the driver is all of us. The driver's all of us. Now, in the next few minutes, you're going to be tempted to think, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. And I want you to resist that temptation because he or she's not here. They're not coming. And you're here and I'm here and we're the ones here. And this is who we're talking about, all of us. So resist the temptation to think of someone else that you think needs to hear this. The driver's all of us. Don't be blinded to anything in your eye by examining the speck in other people's eyes. Second thing I would tell you comes from chapter 2, verse 9 that we just read. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And I'm honing in on that word claims because it reveals that we claim something that's not true. We claim something that's not accurate. We claim something that's not authentic. What do we claim? We claim to be in the light. Second thing I'd tell you about the bus driver is that he's a hypocrite. Why is he a hypocrite? Because he claims to be in the light. Mark Twain once said, If Jesus ever comes back, there's one thing he would not be, and that's a Christian. <laughs> Bertrand Russell, an English scholar and atheist, said, I would be a Christian if I had not met so many of them. Gandhi said he would be a Christian if he had just met one who lived out the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the, favorite, one of the favorite surveys of mine was done in the 1980s by the Texas Department of Corrections where they surveyed every inmate in Texas prisons one year and, and found out that 80% of all Texas inmates are Baptist. <laughs> Y'all, that's funny. These are, they, they didn't become Baptists after they got in prison. They were Baptists when they got there. I mean, it's not funny if you're a Baptist preacher, but couldn't they have said they're Presbyterian or Lutheran or something? No, 80%. So apparently, being a, being a card-carrying Baptist doesn't help much or something. I don't know. This bus driver, though, is a hypocrite. Claims to be in the light. Third thing I'd tell you, verse 11 says, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Third thing we know about the bus driver is, is that he's in the darkness. And because he's in the darkness, he cannot see, doesn't know where he is going. So what I advise you in light of that is stay out of his way. He'll run over you with his bus. And secondly... 
Don't follow him. He doesn't know where he's going. According to Scripture. The fourth thing I'd tell you about the bus driver is that he's a liar. Chapter 4, verse 20 said, if, said, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. When you look at the original language for that word liar, what it actually means is liar. It's amazing. He's a liar. And in light of the fact that he's a liar, he can't be trusted, at least not fully. Have you been around someone before you have this kind of intuitive sense that I'm not sure I can fully trust that person? There's something inauthentic about what they say. There's a kind of a spin on what they say. He can't be trusted, at least not fully. And the second thing in light of the fact that he's a liar is that he's hard to get close to. He has a hard time forming close attachments. The next thing I'd tell you about this bus driver, and I don't draw it from Scripture, I just draw it from my own personal life and from uh, doing counseling, is that he has a hard heart from bitterness and unforgiveness. He has a hard heart from bitterness and unforgiveness. Think of your heart as like a, as like a garden. And the purpose and the objective of a garden is to grow something that, it, that is either beautiful or nourishing. And when a garden has a hard ground, a hard surface, it has great difficulty in growing either one of those things. Great difficulty. The hardness of the heart will, pre- will prevent him from receiving love very well. It'll prevent him or her from receiving love. You'll have a hard time complimenting them at times. They'll have a hard time receiving a compliment. Not only that, the hardness impairs and distorts his judgment when someone comes along with impure water. A person with a hard heart from bitterness and unforgiveness also can very likely have impaired judgment and they won't recognize a healthy relationship from an unhealthy one the last thing I want to tell you about the bus driver is the first thing I told you about the bus driver the bus driver is all of us again resist that temptation to think oh I wish she or he were here to hear this this is us Let me tell you about the passengers in the bus. First of all, they don't necessarily care if they're on our bus. Think about the ramifications of that. The people on your and my hate bus that we have back there, they don't care that they're on your bus. It's not about you or your bus. That sweet little couple, if they got up this morning and had coffee... Uh, and were sitting across the kitchen table and had coffee with one another. And if he looked at her and saw that scar that I bet a doctor uh, very well uh, cleaned up and stitched up, and now it's a scar. If he looks at that scar and he still hates me, he he may look at that scar and still hate me. But let me share something with you. I never think about it unless I'm giving this talk. 
I may be on his hate bus. I never think about it. The people on your hate bus, newsflash, they don't think about it. We like to think we're controlling people by hating them. We like to think we're also changing them or redeeming them or punishing them by hating them. None of those three things are happening. They don't care that they're on your bus. They may have even died since we put them on our bus. Let me say this as kindly and as diplomatically as possible. Having a corpse on your bus gives your personality a unique aroma. Let that set in. It just doesn't make sense to continue to carry someone on your bus that's even no longer with us. Fourth thing is you and I can ride our own bus. Did you know that? You can ride your own hate bus. That day I ran into that couple, and I'm over there sitting there, and he comes over to me and says, why would you run that red light? And I say to him, I am so sorry. And he says, you sure are. That day, I totally agreed with him, threw myself on my own bus. I totally agreed with him. You're right. I am sorry. I'm a sorry excuse for a driver. I'm a sorry excuse for a human being. I'm sorry. I mean, he, he was saying, you have no value. And I said, you're right. Threw myself on my own bus. Now, folks, when you are riding on your own hate bus, that's a dangerous bus. That bus is careening down the street without a driver because the driver's on his own bus. People will say to me, well, I can forgive others, but I just can't forgive myself. Really? Or I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Really? If you say that, stop saying that. That's not a virtue. That's very unhealthy. The idea that the God of the universe, who's totally holy, completely holy, perfect in all justice, would forgive you, but you can't forgive yourself? That's, kind of, that's messed up in all kinds of different ways. Don't say that anymore. We can throw ourselves on our own bus. The last thing I'd tell you about this bus of ours, and the passengers on it, is that God doesn't fit on your bus. God doesn't fit on your bus. I had a friend tell me that she had the entire city of Dallas on her bus. Now, that's a large bus. <laughs> you may have the entire city of Chicago on your bus. That would be a large bus as well. Your bus may be that big, but I'm here to tell you, it is not big enough that God would fit on your bus. The only God that fits on your bus is a God that you shrunk down, chopped up, whittled away in some sort of caricature of a God that you're comfortable hating. To throw God on your bus, you have to become comfortable at hating God. Remember the disciples when they were in the boat with Jesus? A storm came up and they were, they were terrified. So they woke Jesus up, and Jesus calmed the storm, and they went from being terrified of the storm to being terrified of the person who calmed the storm, which is an appropriate thing to be terrified of. Let me tell you about this bus stop up ahead called Forgiveness. And I will begin by telling you what the bus stop is not. First of all, forgiveness is not understanding forgiveness is not understanding forgiveness does not excuse anyone for anything i have a close friend 
who grew up with a father who was a raging alcoholic. And uh, his father was very hurtful and abusive and uh, very hurtful when he was inebriated. And uh, my friend uh, was convinced he had forgiven his father, but still had all the most, if not all, the effects of bitterness and unforgiveness in his life. And I said, well, how would you forgive your... I said, forgive your dad? He goes, yeah, I've forgiven him. I go, how would you do that? He said, well, the more I learned about alcoholism, the more I realized that every time he said and did all these hurtful things was when he was intoxicated, and I, I began to understand more and more of the struggles and illness and disease of alcoholism and so forth. And uh, my understanding of alcoholism enabled me to forgive my dad. And I said... Uh, I said, well, it sounds to me like, think of a beach ball that's this, that's this big. That your dad's offense was this, and he reduced it down to something he could understand, which was the size of a basketball, it's this, and he forgave that. He forgave that which he could understand. And he said, and, it was, and I said, why don't we ask God if there's anything else that He would have you forgive your dad for apart from your understanding of alcoholism? So we prayed right then in that moment. And He said, Lord, is there anything else you would have me forgive my dad for beyond what you've already shown me about alcoholism? And we sat for a moment. And then a moment later, He uh, opened His eyes and He looked at me and He goes, I've got it. I go, what'd you get? He said, God just told me I need to forgive my dad for the contempt in his eyes. Really. The contempt in his eyes. There's no understanding for that. Here's the thing. God has complete understanding for all of our sin, but He he never excuses any of our sin. He He requires full payment for all our sin. And we don't have to excuse anybody else's sin against us. Paul told the Romans, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, It's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Houston Chronicle Angleton, Texas, Stephanie Palmer had everything before a shotgun blast changed her life. She was an attractive, socially active mother of three who led a comfortable suburban life in Pearland before Charles Hughes walked into her living room and blew away the right side of her face on December. After a jury assessed a life prison sentence and the judge called him a punk and a sorry excuse for a human being, Palmer calmly walked to the witness stand to give her victim's impact statement. She said, I think there's only one thing left for me to say, she said to Hughes, and that's that I forgive you. God says, vengeance is mine. She said, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. The judge who ordered that Hughes' life sentence be served consecutively after the life term he received for an additional murder made a point to tell Hughes, Hughes that he had little sympathy for what may lie ahead. If you got killed in the penitentiary tomorrow, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it, he said. I think it'd be a blessing. This is the judge. Palmer's husband, David, said the family's recovery has been helped by the people of Pearland, particularly fellow members of their church. Probably a church full of hypocrites. People who struggle with their dogs being poisoned 
and people who run red lights and put scars above their loved one's eyebrows. People just like us. No one gets away with anything in God's courtroom. All sin is paid for by Jesus or the one found guilty. And when we forgive someone, we don't have to have understanding. And the second thing we don't do is we don't have to excuse them. The next time somebody uh, apologizes to you, don't respond by saying, that's okay. That's okay. Say, I appreciate that, and I do. I forgive you. The next thing I want to tell you about forgiveness, what it's not, it's not amnesia. Forgiveness is not amnesia. Some of you are angry this morning, maybe because I'm bringing this whole thing up, but the other thing you might be angry about is you've been taught the term to forgive is to forget. To forgive is to forget. And you know that to forget something, you have had to minimize, trivialize, or diminish it in some way so as to help your mind put it in a category of things that are forgettable. Let me tell you what's in your category of things that are forgettable. Breakfast three weeks ago. You don't remember what you had for breakfast three weeks ago, unless, of course, you eat the same thing every day. Okay? And the reason you don't remember is you took that information, you put it in a category of things that don't matter, things that don't, no longer have value, things that were not life-changing, were not defining points in my life. They didn't impact me in a significant way. You won't. Be, how, let me ask you this. How would you encourage someone who was abused from age 7 to 14 to take that and put that information in that category? Would you tell him or her that to forgive is to forget? You'll have to forget your experience of being mistreated for seven years? Or that you actually had a car wreck and someone ran a red light? Or that, where's your dog? I don't know, I forget. I, don't, I didn't forget. Somebody poisoned my dog. We buried her right there. To forgive is to forget. Years ago, my daughter and I were riding mountain bikes, and we were coming over this hill, and I looked down at the bottom of the hill, and I saw very clearly a rut going to the right and the trail going to the left. And I was able to assess and size this thing up really quick, but not quick enough to do a thing about it. <laughs> and my bike did exactly what I was expecting it to do. It went right. And my body did the thing I knew it was going to do. It went left. And I crashed, and it was kind of a cinder trail, gravel cinder trail. And I crashed on my left side, and uh, there was hide ripped off my face and down my arm and along my side of my hip. But the worst of it was right here on my leg. I mean, it just ripped the hide off, and it was just full of grit and cinder and grime. Are you enjoying this word picture? So, I mean, it was nasty. It was a screamer. It hurt so bad. I mean, it hurt so bad. And, I, and I, I just sat there, and I finally got up. My daughter's eyes were this big. And we walked back to the house. And when I got back to the house, I had to do the very thing I didn't want to do. I went upstairs, and I turned the water on in the tub, and I put my leg under the faucet to cleanse the wound. I ran water over it, and after a while of running water over it, I took a washcloth and some soap, and I washed it, and I cleansed the wound. 
And then I got out, and the rest of the day I, I sat in shorts with my leg kind of away from anything else. And the next morning I had to do the next thing I didn't want to do. I had to pull a pair of pants on over the, the leg that, where all the hide was ripped off, and that was painful. For two or three days I did that. I would walk around like this so this, not to get my pants to move against the, the wound. And uh, if, there were any, if there were any coffee tables with uh, corners on them, I would walk away around them because I didn't want anything touching the wound. It changed my behavior. Till finally, little by little, I started noticing, noticing it less and less. Until about eight weeks out, uh, I realized it's healed. And it was tender. And about four months out, I realized it's not even tender anymore. I still have a scar. It doesn't hurt. I can rub it. You can hit it with something else. It's healed. But I I can take you to the exact spot where it happened. I remember vividly what happened. I haven't forgotten it. Now listen carefully. Forgiveness is the cleansing, not the healing. When we cleanse, we cleanse the wound so as to cause it to heal. Now listen carefully. This may be the one thing many of you will leave here today with. You and I can blame the offender for the wound, but the infection is our responsibility. We can't blame the offender for the infection. Many of us, if not most of us, myself included, we want to wait a period of time for the wound to heal some before we cleanse it. And if we were to do that, if I I had have done that with the hide being ripped off the side of my leg, you and I both know what would have happened. Or the propensity for infection would have been high. And we would have clearly said, I can hear my wife, I can hear her voice, her words right now. Your infection's not because of the wound. Your infection's because you wouldn't cleanse it. You wouldn't wash it. No, I have an infection because I had a bike rack. Someone didn't take care of that trail. Shouldn't have been a rut there. No, you have an infection because you didn't cleanse it. Forgiveness is the cleansing, not the healing. God in heaven says, cleanse the wound, I'll heal it. I'll heal it. You cleanse it. Last thing I'll tell you forgiveness is not, is forgiveness doesn't originate in you and I. We don't have to muster up forgiveness. It's not something we create. Forgiveness doesn't originate in us. Forgiveness is something that flows through us. It flows through us. Paul told the Ephesians, he said, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Well, if that's what forgiveness isn't, what is it? The word forgive literally means to hurl away. It means to hurl away. Here are some of my favorite definitions of forgiveness over the years. One is, and this is probably the one you most likely may have heard before, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. I agree with that. Another is forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences 
of another person's sin. Forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. My favorite definition is forgiveness means giving up all hope of ever having a better past. Forgiveness is giving up hope of ever having a different past. Well, Matt, if God commands us to pull the bus over and kick people off the bus, empty our bus, if He tells us to forgive people, just what is it we have to do if it's not excusing them, if it's not understanding, and it's not forgetting what it is they've done? Just what is it? Which is a great question. You know, when God commands all of us to do something, then you, you can know that His command can be followed. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be mature enough. You don't have to have 12 years of church background in your life. All you have to do is, is be willing. Because what He commands you to do has to be that simple that uh, we don't disqualify ourselves by not knowing something or not being mature enough. Here's what, here's, here's what you're, you and I are required to do to cleanse the wound. Pray this prayer. Dear God, I forgive blank for blank. I turn him or her over to you to deal with as you see fit. Picture yourself metaphorically, spiritually, as standing between the offender and the God of the universe, or Jesus Christ himself, and you have the person who offended you by the wrist. You're not holding hands with them. You don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to have re-engaged in some sort of relationship. You're not vulnerable to them in any way. You're holding their wrist, and you pray, Dear God, I forgive, and you identify this person. I, I forgive them for, and you identify however general or specific you've been led to pray. I turn them over to you to deal with as you see fit. That phrase of letting it go is you taking the wrist of the offender, placing it in the hand of Jesus, and you stepping back and getting out of the way. Jesus will deal with that person in two ways. One, with perfect justice, and two, with endless mercy, both of which they need, both of which are the things that will create change in their life, and both of which you and I don't have. We don't have perfect justice, and we don't have endless mercy. So I take the wrist of the offender. God, I turn him over to you to deal with as you see fit. And I step back. That is all that is required to cleanse the wound. Then the Holy Spirit will start healing. It is not your job to heal your wounds. It is all of our jobs to cleanse the wound. So when someone says to you, or that voice in your head says to you, have you really forgiven? Or you haven't really forgiven because you still are mad about it, or you still think about it, or you haven't forgotten it. Well, if you've done that, you say, no, that's not, that's not right. What is today, the 18th or 19th? The 20th, yeah, I'm living in the past. You say, on July, <laughs> I knew I was here on the weekend of the 18th, and... You say, on July 20th, 2014, I forgave that person for that wound, for that offense. So don't tell me I haven't forgiven them. Because I, and I forgave them not because I feel good, not because I, can't, I'm still think, I still think about it, but because I prayed this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I forgive this person for this offense. I turn him over you to deal with as you see fit. That 
is all that's required to forgive. Now, if you think an inordinate amount of time has passed and you still have effects of the wound in your life, it's not healing, then you ask God, God, is there something else about that offense that you want me to forgive? And just like my best friend Jeff said, he had forgiven his dad for tons of stuff, and we prayed. I can't remember. Did I tell you all this story? Uh, I've talked twice now. I can't remember what I've told you and what I haven't. Jeff thought he had forgiven his dad, and I said, well, let's pray and ask if God uh, would show you anything else. He bowed his head. God said, forgive him for the contempt in his eyes. And he said, God, I forgive my dad for the contempt in his eyes when he used to scream and holler and hit us. The next time I saw him, I said, have you experienced any change in light of us praying together that day? And he goes, you would not believe. I said, so it was the look in his eye. He said, yeah. I got over him slapping me a long time ago. But I'd never gotten over the look in his eye. You pray the prayer, you cleanse the wound, God will heal the wound. I guarantee it. The driver, after he clears the bus, lives in the light, which means he's less of a hypocrite. It doesn't mean he's not a hypocrite at all. There are a lot of people on our bus, folks. But it does mean he's less of a hypocrite. It means he stumbles less. It means he's no longer blind. His vision is returning. He has a better picture of where he's going. You can, be, you can begin to trust him because his heart will begin to soften. And he also has other problems. You kicking people off your bus will not make you a finished product. You will not arrive because you send people off your bus. But you'll be lighter, and you'll be clearer, and your vision will be better, and your heart will be softer, and you'll have less impaired judgment and distorted judgment in your life. I promise you, I guarantee it. We can do this. We can all do this. Single person, for your friendships, empty your bus. Young person, for your future, empty your bus. Parents, for your kids' sake, empty your bus regardless of their age. Engaged person for your marriage, empty your bus. Divorced person, send your ex-spouse off the bus. Married person, save your marriage, empty your bus. Church member, send your last church off the bus. Pastors and teachers, put power in your ministry, empty your bus. And all of us who are followers of Christ, Because Almighty God commands, not recommends, not suggests, but He commands, let's empty our bus. Identify the people on it. Pull over at that bus stop. Send them off. Say, I forgive you for this offense. I turn you over to God to deal with as you see fit. And a healing will begin. A healing will begin. Let's pray together. Father, we do just that. We ask that, one, you would uh, identify for us, show us who you want us to uh, forgive, what wounds you want us to cleanse. And we're going to trust you that you'll change us in light of it.
that you'll heal the wounds that have been so painful for us to even think about or even get near. We're going to trust you that you'll do a healing process in us that we couldn't explain any other way than giving you the glory and honor for it. So that's our hope and prayer, that you'd work in our lives in these ways. And it's all because of your son Jesus and his powerful name we pray. Amen. And will you do me a favor and thank my friend Matt for being here with us this morning? Listen, as, as a person who has, over the course of his lifetime, required a tremendous amount of forgiveness, and as someone who has spent a great deal of energy and time moving people off my bus, I can tell you that the only way that happens is by believing what you just sang, by marrying the, the prayer that Matt just taught us with the power of God's grace, the reality of his love for us that is unfailing and unswerving, unwavering, is the way that you get people off your bus. So I challenge you, don't leave here without beginning to hurl people out the windows, the door, the emergency exit, whatever it takes, get them off your bus because it is then that you give, get to live the life you're designed to live, the one of freedom. So I'm gonna pray for you pray for myself that as we leave here, we would have courage and strength to do just that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the forgiveness that you've given to us that enables us to have the power to forgive others. So God, I pray for each person in this room that you give them the strength and the courage to pray that prayer that Matt just shared with us we would boldly take one hand and place it in yours and step away. God, when it's said and done, we're going to give you all the honor and the glory and the praise because we recognize that we can only do these things because of you and your presence in our life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great week.